0: Ever wondered what powers the world of your favorite superheroes? Dive into understanding superhero comic books, the definitive guide that unravels the mystery. It plunges into the captivating world of spandex, superpowers, and the masterminds who conceive them. Trace the origins and evolution of superhero comics, fueled by influences from Bela Lugosi's enigmatic charm, Errol Flynn's daring exploits, and the early mesmerizing Magicians. Witness Batman, Wonder Woman, Captain America, and more as they navigate societal shifts reflecting our world within their epic tales. By Alex Grant's Understanding Superhero Comic Books, available now.
1: Welcome to Who Was Steve Ditko? This is a panel celebrating and hearing more about the life of this amazing, amazing person and creator. I'm Tyler McPhail. I am your moderator today. Oh, thank you. And uh, um, and that's enough about me. Let's go on to these amazing people, starting with Lenny right
0: over here. Hi, my name is Lenny Schwartz. How are you all today?
2: All right. Alex Grand. uh, I wrote Understanding Superhero Comic Books and host of Lego Arts Spider-Man.
3: And uh, I am Mark Ditko, Steve
4: Ditko's nephew. And I am Marcy Single. I am Steve Ditko, actually. We called him JD, or Junior Ditko. Um, He's my first cousin once removed, so he's my mom's (laughs) first cousin. And I'm Jackie Estrada,
5: enough said. (laughs)
1: We'll welcome, you guys. Thank you so much for being here. First off, the first question I have today is, what is your interest in Steve Ditko? I think two people have already told us, but I would love to hear so much more from you guys. So whoever would like to go first.
0: Um, I'm, a, I'm a playwright, and I actually wrote a play about Steve Ditko. Um, and we I always love Steve Ditko, um, his comics, everything. Uh, love his art. Actually, when we're talking out there, one of the things I really hit on is I really like his writing as well. Um, I love his essays. I love everything he did. Um, his, essay, his, his writing was very uh, in, in a lot of ways, very in, influential to me. And um, I'd always pick up his uh, his uh, Kickstarters, everything going on with that. And I've always enjoyed his take on the world. So, that's my interest in Steve Ditko.
1: Absolutely. Thank
0: you.
2: You know, I love uh, Ditko's creativity. You know, I love his stuff that he did at Marvel, of course, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, but the it was that the world building that he did during those few years on those that made me interested in looking up the stuff he did for Charlton in the 1950s. He pioneered a certain cinematic approach to comics. It was almost like watching a Hitchcock episode, every little short story that he was you know, storytelling. And uh, he would experiment with different modes of telling comics, different genres, um, anxiety, neurosis, being able to portray that like no one else. And um, I think I just got... Sucked down the Steve Ditko rabbit hole by just looking at his early stuff, and and that's my interest. Well,
3: <laughs> um, I have to say, probably my primary interest is to get to let people or to give people, I guess, through me and my understanding of him, an opportunity to maybe find out a little bit more about who he actually was. As a person, you know, his comic career is well documented and covered by guys like this. Um, So I just I want to be a, a conduit to try to relay things that I know about him that I think others and fans and admirers of his might not know and might be interested to know.
4: And my reason is from, from what I've read, you know, it's always about the illustrator and, you know, who that Steve Jitko was. But you don't read about the person he was, like, to our family, um, you know, what he meant to all of us and the time that he shared with us and what he did for us. And I, w- I was a little girl, and I'll tell you, well, when we get to that, I'll tell you um, a story that is near and dear to my heart about him, and um, so this is just like kind of like my, my tribute to him and to thank him for, you know, what he meant to me as a little girl, even though we were relatives, <laughs> so, and I want to share that with everyone.
5: Well, I am old enough that I was a fan of Marvel and DC and everything, and in- the mid-60s and I over the years actually had many interactions with Steve in various ways both uh, through Comic-Con and through um, work that uh, my husband Batten Lash was involved with and so uh, I'll be talking about some of those projects and interactions during the panel
3: growing up and and if people have been in other panels that you know where I have spoke you'll kind of hear me say some similar stories. Uh, But when I was growing up, uh, I was born in 59. So, uh, I mean, he was my godfather. uh, And, you know, for the first decade-ish, decade and a half of my life, he was just my uncle. You know, the family uh, basically was instructed. And, you know, from what my dad said is that when my uncle would come into town, that we're not, he's not there on business. You know, he's there for personal reasons, and family, so um, we really didn't, he did, we didn't know, as kids, we didn't know, but there were comics all around the house, always, and um, I grew up kind of uh, reading Conga, and it was my first comic, so I kind of fell in love with gorillas and used to kind of fast forward when he would come in town, um, or when we, let me say this, when we would get together, because I actually thought he lived in Johnstown. Because every time we had family gatherings, he was always there, whether it was summer barbecues or Christmas or something. I didn't. I didn't know he lived in New York. I was, you know, single digit agent. Every every time the family got together, he was there. Anyway, at one point, uh, he was showing my older brother how to draw something. And and I said, you know, I was reading Conga at the time. I didn't know who drew it. Uh, Didn't know he drew it. So I said, hey, Uncle Steve, can you draw me a gorilla? And he just whips out this gorilla. And I was like, whoa. I was just, the five-year-old just blown, like, oh, my God, this gorilla is amazing. And obviously, it was very much like Conga. And, uh, and I thought, wow. So every time I'd see him, I'd ask him to draw me a gorilla. Uh, and then I ended up telling him that story when we started to, when we reconnected in the early 90s. And he ended up drawing me another gorilla. And he's still monkeying around, Mark. So... You know, that's kind of the sort of the side of uh, how I, when I was small, what it was like for me to have him around, and it was just he was just a relative. He was a relative that had an artistic skill.
5: Did you keep all your Gorilla drums?
3: I do not have those. I have no idea where those are. What did we know? You know, (laughs) and I only have one comic from that era that I carried forward. Uh, and then one other little story where my relationship really changed with him is I was uh, early college days, long hair. I had really short hair, so I said I had long hair and then short hair. Now it's long again. But but I had long hair and I was hippie, you know, bandana, just being a real hippie. Um, I was at the kitchen table and he was sitting there. He came over to the house to visit and I was just complaining about something, some social situation, some war or something. It was probably mid-70s, and just complaining about something. And he said, uh, so what are you doing about it? And I kind of thought that was just bizarre, like nothing. Like nothing. And then he said, well, you don't have a right to complain about it then. Uh-huh. So that was that was like the first philosophical slap in the face that he ever gave me. And he gave me many. Um, but that was the first one that I was like, whoa, that's deep. (laughs) And, and it, and our relationship really just changed. Yeah. Everything changed from that point on. And the glue that then tied me to him, uh, was philosophical. So I
1: love that. Thank you for sharing.
4: So, so for me, and as Mark had mentioned, um, when he would come to Johnstown to visit, and he had always taken the train from New York City, um, he would always make sure that he came to visit my grandmother, who was his aunt, his aunt Mary, my mom's.
3: I never, I still don't understand that relationship.
4: Yeah, well, I'll yeah. explain to you later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it might take a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You're dying so. Now so so he he would always come and visit, and he always always, always made time for family and as Mark mentioned, you know it wasn't about work we we didn't know i mean because and I'm younger than Mark, by the way, okay I'm not going to say how much younger <laughs> so so I was a little girl, and you know, when he would come to my parents' house, we knew that he drew so in in little girl terms, we knew that he drew, so I was like this you know, excited little girl, um, and I recall vividly, and this was 1975, I'm like, oh, you know, let me find something for him to draw for me, and I remember my parents saying, no, no, you know, he's, he's busy, he's relaxing, you know, and I ran, like, in the bathroom, my parents had this little soap dish with little soaps in, and I pulled it out, and he sketched it out, and, like, beautiful, beautiful. Um, You know, I had a doll baby at the time, if I can say um, Mrs. Beasley. Um, (laughs) He he drew her for me. Yeah, just different things. But as from a little girl's perspective. So you had props
3: and stuff you would just set up and he would just draw them? He would just
4: draw them. Uh, Yes, yes. We were all having conversations. He was having conversations with my parents, my grandparents. And yet he took the time to sketch these things out. And it's like. It was like such a beautiful moment that I, you know, really, I am so grateful and thankful, you know, not for any other reason, they're mine. They're, they're just mine, and that was near and dear to me. But um, yeah, so that was one of the things that I re- recall. Um, my mom also would say that, and I always tell her, you know, mom, you need to use a different word um, in this day and age, but she said the gang would get together At his parents' house every Sunday, the homestead, she called it. And so um, Mark's dad and my mom are first cousins. And so that group would always hang out at the family, their family house. And she said a lot of times, you know, he was just, you know, sketching. He was doing his thing. Um, So anyhow, that was nice. And then um, over the years... Every single Christmas, um, he would send my mom a card and handwrite. You know, it was just it was a beautiful thing. So um, those are the things that are near and dear to us as family. That's how we knew him. Later on in life, we knew. Okay, Spider Man. We're like, whoa. What? <laughs> but even then, it, but even then, it wasn't really. You know, someone someone would
3: ask me. Well what was it like when you first found out like what he really did? It was like I don't know, it was just really anticlimactic. It
4: was yeah. like, oh wow, it was, it was. yeah. Yeah, a
3: relationship you're right, it was the same. Yeah. You know. It was just like, oh wow, that's really cool.
5: Yeah. Yeah. So so let me take you back to the nineteen sixties. Um I was in college in San Diego State, and my boyfriend at the time, Davey Estrada, who I married in 68 and we were married for 10 years. We were comics fans and uh, of course big Ditko fans and Mr. A came out and that was 67. And so we subscribed and we wrote letters to Steve and he responded and uh, Davey still has all of that correspondence. Uh, by the way, he's managing editor at Dark Horse Comics so he's still in the comics biz. So. We uh, we had a correspondence, lots of letters back and forth. Um, we had some projects that we wanted to do that he was giving us feedback on, um, kind of books about comics that we wanted to do that we never did. And then I started working on Comic-Con. I, I'm one of five people who've been to every single San Diego Comic-Con.
4: Ooh.
5: I started actually, I think, 74, I started doing the PR, marketing, stuff like that, and then I became the editor of the Souvenir book, the program book that was called back then in 77, and I solicited artwork from various artists, and so this is the book from that year with the Alex Nino cover, this is the pinup he sent in for the book. And it says, uh, to San Diego Comic-Con 77, regards Steve Ditko 77. I still have this artwork. And then uh, I edited the book the next year, and he sent in a piece, which I still have the original artwork of. And uh, it's just uh, regards San Diego Comic-Con 78 as Ditko. So we had that going back and forth. And then let's jump forward to 1990, and uh, before Comic Con, the Chicago Comic Con was at Fourth of July weekend, and San Diego was going to be at the end of the month. And I had finished doing the souvenir book that month, and and so went to Chicago on a whim. And at a DC party, this guy comes up to me and says, um, "Are you are you Jackie Estrada?" I said, "Yes." Oh, I just want to thank you for including my my drawing in this program book this year, I, you know, it's first time ever. It was a tribute to the Spirit's 50th anniversary, and Will Eisner had been his teacher and everything like that. And I got this conversation, and kind of kept running into him at various times, me and my friend and him as friends. And at one point, Ditko's name came up, and I said, Oh yeah, I have uh, five pages of original art, Steve Ditko, oh, what? <laughs> what? It was Bad Lash, and this was his number one artist that he admired and copied, among the other ones. World's biggest fan. He said, "I've never even met a woman who knew who Steve Ditko
4: was."
5: (laughs) So he, he and his friends were going to be coming to San Diego three weeks after that. So I found excuses to call him during those three weeks, saying, "Since you're coming to San Diego, there's." chocolate Chocolatier is in Manhattan. If you buy any chance, can get there and, you know, bring me some of the, the toffee things that I really like. And then I'm having a barbecue at my house on a Tuesday night. So if you, if you want to come for that. And so um, he and his friends came to the barbecue. And then when everybody was leaving, I said, well, if you want to stick around a little longer, I'll show you my Ditko originals. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And I had a five-page story from Journey a Mystery that he had done, you know, and like, he just wanted to stay there and stare at the artwork <laughs> and not leave. Um, long story short, we ended up getting married, publishing his comics, Wolfenberg, Counselors of the and then the thrill of his lifetime was when Jim Salicrupp asked him to do a backup story in Satan 6, and Satan 6 was, uh, the lead story was a Jack Kirby story. And so he said, I want to do like the old time Marvel comics where there's a like three or four page backup story and you could do it in a Ditko style. That's it. You bet. So he purposely did hands and all the stuff and he did a very Ditko-esque backup story that, with his characters, Wolf and Bird. And then Jim Salikarp calls him up and said, would you mind if Steve Gitko inked the story? What? <laughs> <Never mind. laughs> so... Ditko ink the story, and then he said, you know, normally we split things up, but I'm just gonna let you have all the original art on that. And he, when he got that art in the mail, he studied every ink line, He said, oh, why didn't I do it that way? He made it so much better. So this was the thrill of his life to have had his hero ink his work. And that was just a fabulous interaction, so.
1: Woo. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all three of you. I would love to go to an audience question if somebody wants to come up to that mic. All right. Um,
5: Mark, I met you uh, at San Diego Comic Fest a few years ago and and I asked you a question, I'll ask
3: the same question now. Uh, so a lot of us probably in this room have followed the, the Kirby saga where his family was pursuing uh, kind of economic justice and then finally, after many, many years, uh, won it and there was a pending Supreme Court really that they that to ever happen. So what I asked you then is I think every Dicko person on earth, uh, a Dicko fan, of, would think it would be economic
5: justice for the state and the family to kind of get something like a settlement like Kirby's family got. And is there anything you can mention about that or no
2: comment?
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, really, I can't say anything about that right now.
5: Well, unfortunately, um, what. Basically, yeah,
3: Jackie can say whatever what she wants.
5: What was, I was paid as work for hire to work on this stuff. So I'm not out to go after Marvel for uh, that kind of thing because it was our contract that was illegal, and so everybody was encouraging. Well, yeah, but you know, look at how much Spider-Man is everywhere now, and. It was interesting one time. Uh, Bat and I were in New York walking down the street, and the Spider-Man movie was on the marquee. And Bat said, "See that building there? See the fourth floor? That's where Steve's studio was. So right, looking down on the marquee for the Spider-Man movie." And uh, but that that was my understanding of his just integrity of him honoring the legal, what he saw as the legal situation.
2: So. I, I think from um, some quote that I remember reading, that there was something about him between him and Goodman, specifically maybe as a, as a person-to-person issue. Um, I do remember that coming up, but yeah. that's the only thing I remember about that.
0: One thing I would like to say, um, in, in general, one of the reasons why some of the stuff that me and Alex do and what I'm glad to see everybody hears is great, um, is that we have to keep Steve Dicko's name alive. And we have to... Keep, keep remembering him because we have to keep saying his name. You know, I wonder the I really love, I wrote to play, I, when I wrote my play, I said, well, you know, Steve will probably hate it. He will hate it, um, which is why I waited till after he passed to actually put it on. Um, and what, what is, one of the things is, though, if we're not saying Steve Dicko's name and remembering him, having panels, writing books, writing, you know, writing plays, talking about him, having discussions about him, then 10, 15 years, you know, it's, his name, you know, his name might just you know, kind of dissipate a little bit more. You might not see it. And that's very, that would be very sad. We have to keep saying, see C- C- Dicto's name no matter what. Yeah, absolutely.
3: you. know what let, let me just kind of cap that with uh, just one statement is, um, he had a, a bit of a relationship with uh, a guy named Russ Meharis. And, um, russ was a military person that was in pr and uh they wrote back quite extensively in fact i think his letters went on heritage auction you know last year or the year before um so russ always had these discussions with him about clarifying things and making things right you know get getting the truth out there in terms of his his uh uh, contributions and um I think at some point my uncle had kind of just let that go. But he wrote Russ, and the one thing he said was um, in the letter, he said, and uh, thanks for the article and the willingness to clear up the avoided and evaded. So it wasn't that he didn't want justice. I think at some point he just decided he had to move on. and And I have other. Letters and things that he had written that he had he had just moved on and he had that ability to do that so um, we'll see what happens
5: and he he had the outlet uh, fruit through Robin Snyder to set the record straight on you know lots of things that were in the newsletter so those were really fascinating things to read from him of yeah. what you know, the real situations that happened in the creative process yeah. back at Marvel yeah. and everything absolutely thank you.
1: Next question.
3: Um, yes. Steve, of course, uh, was a, a huge artistic talent, both art-wise and writing-wise, and had very distinctive style and nature to that. Um, and his, from what I, my understanding is, his upbringing, whereas a lot of those guys seem to have grown up in these urban, gritty environments, Hell's Kitchen and places like that, Steve grew up in, it
0: sounds like, from my understanding, a different environment and I'm curious for those who are very familiar with a lot of the uber of the comics world how do you see how his upbringing
3: made his writing and artistic style different than that of his contemporaries one answer that I would have is it, his background from slovakian parents basically you know eastern european so so there's a there's a book that uh, Zach Cruz, who wrote this book, Mysterious Traveler, he refers to a book, um, I think it's called, and I was looking for it real quick, but I couldn't find it, um, uh, from, with bread and butter, the history of the Johnstown immigrants from the 1800s. And it's about their attitudes. And one of the things that they're, they're, from their perspective, education actually wasn't even the highest tier uh, emphasis it was uh, work ethic. It was putting your head down and working. So he was born and raised with a very, very high work ethic. Um, so I think for for one, and that sort of, I see that translate into sort of the Ditko gene in a way. Um, we could very easily be workaholics, uh, but we love what we do. So that's the other thing. So so one, I think uh, his upbringing um sort of primed him to, to be uh, the best and a professional in what he did. And then the next level, I think, which was the, the other piece of that puzzle, is he was extremely intelligent. Like, he was so learned. I mean, I have his library, and we're cataloging that. Zach is cataloging that now with all his notations in there. His library is massive. And he was so well read. So he was very educated. So I and I think that combined with his just creative skill, his imagination. You know, so you take a very, very good you know, it's he, he was he was one of the Olympians, you know, he was an Olympic artist creator, like Jack Kirby and Wally Wood and all those guys that did that. So he was just of that caliber. It was a combination of his background, his upbringing, his the generationally, and then just um, his ability to put it all together.
5: And one example, for instance, is that uh, Comic Con gave him the Eisner Hall of Fame, yeah. and he said, You know, thanks, but no thanks, I don't need awards. I'm not here to get accolades, attention, et cetera. I'm here because I love what I'm doing, and I'm just going right. to keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, people like it fine. If they don't, that doesn't mean I'm not going to keep doing it. So uh, he, that was just, he wasn't one of those people that would be out there whining, nobody's paying attention to what he's You know, that he was just, if they do, fine. But I'm, it's my thing, and I get to do it. And that's, what more could you want?
3: In fact, to add to that, he said uh, in a letter that um, he wrote in 1991, past achievements uh, can be a trap if one believes he can live on what he did yesterday or last month, new yesterday, etc. Past achievements um, can become excess baggage. So he was mov- he was forward thinking. That's why he was able to just let things go and move forward.
2: Yeah, I think something that surprises a lot of fans is that he did his life didn't depend on. Man. Yeah. And, and i think so many fans get surprised and they almost don't know how to interpret it it yeah. seems mm-hmm. and uh but it seemed like especially hanging out with you and your family at DitcoCon con and and mm-hmm. talking in our conversations is it was more about a job well done applying yeah. it learning from what he did in one experimental art piece and then applying that to the next constantly improving and that's kind of kind of an engineer that makes a machine now wants to build a better machine next time
0: one thing i would like to say has anyone been here been to johnstown anyone here all right, nice. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, well, yeah, really, really great. Um, there is another DitkoCon coming out in uh, late September, so look at that. Um, but one of the things I will say, um, this is from an outsider looking in, um, when originally when they did the first DitkoCon, when they did it in uh, two thousand twenty-one, uh, myself and my family, you know, I like I like I said before, I didn't know a lot of us didn't know even as far back as ten years ago that there were other Dickos besides Steve Dicko because he never said anything. So when I had the invitation to DickoCon, you know, I was going down to Johnstown, driving down. We get to the bottle works. If you haven't looked at the bottle works, make sure you do, they're doing great work there. Very Steve Dicko oriented, unbelievable place. And there's two murals up there too. And there's gonna be a third one soon. Um, We went in there and there was a reception. And the only person I knew of all the Dickos was Mark, I think was at that point. And I went in and I didn't see Mark. But I saw Dick goes as far as the eye can see. <laughs> so I, I, it was like crashing a wedding or a bar mitzvah. And I'm like, oh, am I turning completely white? And I'm like, oh, no, what do I do? And they all said, you're the playwright. And I'm like, oh, gosh. And they all welcomed me. Even though I felt like I was crashing the party, they all welcomed me. They all had a worth ethic. Um, but they all welcomed me. which I mean, it was a place that, you know, I, I couldn't believe. And at that point, I'm like, wow, this is just amazing. I think his aunts actually hit on me. Um, and I kept telling them I'm not available. But they persisted because the discos are persistent. Uh, and uh, one of the things, um, like, this is my wife. And they're like, yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, but it was really wonderful. You can tell there was a worth ethic. But I can also say this, very, very mu- much so. And I say this, and I think Alex, you've been right. You've been,
6: oh, yeah.
4: Yeah. oh, yeah.
0: You go there, and it's a place filled with love. And one thing we don't talk about, and you know, I, I do believe that all the dickos I've, I've met have that worth ethic. From an outsider looking in, there is a community in Johnstown of love. And then if you haven't been to Johnstown, um, it feels very much like some place that Steve Ditko would come from. Um, and it's, we, even the buildings, uh, I think your father has, um, has designed a you, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. You feel like the, the, the buildings are like Ditko. So I say, you know, what, you know the Ditko-esque, it's amazing. So after you leave San Diego, go hop in your cars and go to Johnstown. <laughs> Uh, and that, thats from an outsider uh, looking in. It was truly incredible, and it is incredible if you go there.
2: Yeah. Some—some—something I noticed about the Ditkos—they're all different from each other. They're not cl- clones of Steve Ditko or anything. But um, nope. that, that'd be another—that'd be another clone saga, actually. Uh, <laughs> but um, but, uh, but uh, uh, at any rate, but one thing that is pretty similar among all of them is they're not the type that like brag like like bragging isn't something that even there's an impulse it seems they're just kind of their own person and they enjoy each other and uh, they enjoy people talking to them and it's great it's eye-opening it's a it's a wonderful experience
4: and and if i may add to that as well you know one interesting thing is and mark i don't know if you feel this when you go back home too but you know a lot of the even the community back home in johnstown pennsylvania um they I think a lot of them really weren't aware that that's where the co-creator of Spider-Man was from. You know, so it's it's kind of, you know, just it's, it's very he was very humble and very, you know, like you said, Alex, never would anybody brag about it. And I mean, it's it's nice to know, but I think it's just that that community and the Eastern European you Know roots, um, you know, you just work hard and you know, you
3: do the uh, best you can,
4: you do the best you can, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's nice, okay. So, first of all,
0: thank you for holding the session because uh, this was the one session I was not going to miss in coming, really, because, oh, okay. because, awesome. I, because um, honestly, I love uh, art and uh, it's so hard to find anything about his life, you know, yeah. it's I've been. Getting a book I can I notice now that there's many i I missed um, I'm trying to so so my question would be uh what can you share about like his really personal things and I know you probably don't want to, <laughs> but like maybe some of his political views, his worldviews uh what 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 did he think about the world and because it's so hard to find anything at least I have
3: <clears throat> well okay i I'll, I'll say a couple of things first of all. I think you have to. Right now, we don't have anything uh, published out there. It's coming. Um, so really, all that you have now are things that are done by somebody else. Like so, uh, Zach Cruz, this mysterious traveler. This, um, from an outsider perspective, Zach's he he paints a philosophical portrait of him through his whole artwork. So this I'll say is, you know, and a lot of people have given me the books to, to edit or comment on. And I generally do like when he's yeah. play. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. start this one, I had literally not a single comment because it was just beautiful. Just the way it was. So this, this is one thing. Uh, another one is this, this uh, book six. So there's, you know, Bernie's stories in there again, are very revealing of who he was. And then um, this one by David Curry, Ditko Shrug, is another one.
5: In Search search of Steve Ditko. In
3: Search of Steve Ditko is kind of another aspect of that. Now, I'll say what I'm primarily interested in right now. So we have a family book that's kind of in the works from family and friends, stories. So that's probably really what you're after. But to me, there's there's another avenue that I'm trying to accelerate right now even after this con is is his essays so in his essays he really describes himself so if you have it and and they've been published through robin snyder you know some of them are just very hard to find in fact i'm i'm still trying to locate just the four or five that I don't have otherwise i have hundreds like hundreds of his essays and he lit in those I'll tell you what, if you read the, okay, his artwork is his artwork. It communicates what he wants through his artwork. But his essays are him. That's actually his voice and what he feels about politics and personal things. And stuff. I mean, that's really where you get a strong sense of who he was. I was telling Marcy just last night, you know, even if I don't get this published in, immediately, I'm going to... Prepare, i'm going to create these books and give them to all the family just so that the family understands that side of him that maybe he didn't reveal you know the deeper side of him so i think right now um you know these books is unfortunately all that we really have or the, all that someone has from the outside but i think the next thing that coming up that i would really say is you have to just read what he wrote have to read and you and
5: the thing is, you have to realize that he studied philosophy. He studied logic. Everything. He studied history. Um, he was a staunch individualist, and everything individualism started as the basis of everything else. Yeah. Aristotle's where you get Mr. A from. A is A. That's Aristotle. So I mean, he studied um, aesthetics, ethics. Uh,
3: Criminality, you go on All of the the different
5: areas of philosophy. And so it wasn't just random stuff that he got from different places and mushed together. It was very systematic, um, coming up with a worldview that fit together. And yes, you know, he was an objectivist. He was a student of objectivism. And so he got a lot of his reading from seeing the reading list for that. But still, it's just based in pretty much what America's based on, and uh, freedom and liberty, number one, along with individualism, so.
3: I mean, I, I have a lot of letters and quotes and things from him that could kind of expand on that, but i would try to kind of focus this, but Zach Cruz is right now cataloging his library. Again, that is gonna be very revealing. What did he read, you know? So I'd say that's the answer that I can give you. best answer I can give you now. <laughs> Thank you so much.
6: Sorry, if I'm a, uh, I may, I can share. Uh, to answer your question, um, read what is it that disturbs you, Stephen, Dr. Strange, right? Uh, that's so much of his philosophy in that his existentialism, his cosmic beliefs, his belief in God or the higher power, right? So, um, sorry. <laughs> Real quick, um, I was very fortunate uh, to meet Mr. Ditko. Um, my uncle is Bob Chapman for designer, Designs Small blood. Um, But he went to one of his dead dog parties, and he sat right next to me, not a drinker, but sat down with a glass of beer, saw I was drinking a glass of whiskey, and he was like, What are you drinking, kid? Whiskey. Alright, I'll have one, too. And we had that same discussion, ma'am. It was, I gushed about him with Spider-Man, I gushed about him with Doctor Strange, we talked a little bit about, like, what he thought about the movies, and what he thought about Benedict Cumberbatch playing in, and he loved that. He loved Cumberbatch more than the Spider-Man film. that's what we talked about, what guys talked about, other than babes and sports at a bar, we talked about philosophy and uh, sophism and his belief in the Greeks and Aristotle and stuff like that. So wherever the guy was to ask the question, I, I'm a philosophy major. I know I look like a punk, but I'm a philosophy major. And he sat down and he schooled me. I sat there and I don't know if you've ever been to a group party. Bob has the, what's your paper with crayons? I sat there and I'm taking notes. I'm like, it go things this. underlying circle, circle. So I gotta say, i am um, been a I'm 52 years old. I've been doing this for most of my adult life. I'm getting new just now. The highlight of my life was talking to that man for half an hour, maybe.
1: I appreciate you so much. I'm so sorry to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's fine, but we really appreciate what you have to say. Thank you so much. We do have one more person who has a question, but Thank you. <clears throat>
5: I think this has already been asked, but I'll say it a different way. That I hadn't heard of Stephen, this Steve Ditko, until I read uh, a Mister A that was a wits end, and I came out of it going, "What?" So I'm going to ask the same question: What?
3: <laughs> well, you know, A I'm,
5: is A. Uh,
3: yeah, a is I'll, a. I'll say this: is he he wrote to me multiple times about his what characters and i'm trying to find quickly here oh he said um regarding mr a he said that is one character from the past that i would like to see in the present and in the future so it was really mr a was just his baby and you know you really kind of have to i'll say read that say with a grain of salt um because uh in my opinion this is my and you really just have to read it you have to read it and you take it, take away whatever you take away. But, um, he always believed, and again, I, I can't find the quotes, but he always believed that he, that comics should have evolved, should have evolved from a pure, and look, we already know that they, they've evolved from a, uh, a market of a, of a small child to more adults, you know, comics have had this evolution. But he always thought it should have taken a step further than that and become uh, more of a channel for uh, education and conveyance of truth. So Mr. A was kind of his baby of being, I'll I'll say it in my words because they're not his, being very dramatic about uh, choices that we have to make in being right or wrong. So he had this philosophy of things are black or things are white. And in what's just Aristotelian, you know, that's really what that is. There is right and there is wrong.
5: There is no gray. You know?
3: And to me, there is a there is a line in some topics. There is a point where there are there are just clear decisions to do or not to do. Um, thou shalt not kill. You know, you don't go out and kill someone. Don't do that. That's a bad thing. So um, and I think Mr. A was just sort of the his embodiment of that to try to say, look, think about what you're doing. Just think about it. If anything, just think about it.
5: Yeah. Conscience.
3: Yeah. So anyway, that's um, that's uh, my.
5: It was also the role of emotion should not affect your decision. Yeah, right. You have to be logical. Yeah. Uh, If you let emotion run your life, then you're going to be in big (laughs) trouble.
2: Yeah, agreed. How much of that, Mark, uh, Marcy or Jackie, do you think is a reaction to living in New York?
3: In my opinion, none. I mean, that was that came out of his his life experience and his the message that he wanted to convey. I think he was very disillusioned by certain aspects of the world decline. And even in the past, he was obviously a historian. He studied history, and I think the fact that he really just looked and embraced so much and just realized that there were, there were instances of where man was not at his best. And then I think he just gravitated towards, well, what is man at, its, at his best? And then just really went to sell that.
0: I found it very interesting as his career you know, came through the, the, the 70s and the 80s, you do see him actually trying to push the art form forward
6: and many
0: instances. Um, I forget what the the um, it was almost like a hundred page story he did, um, but it was absolutely it was like the, like like a almost a precursor to graphic novels. And it really, if you look at what he's doing, he's really pushing the form as he's as he grows up, he, as he grows and as we grow. Um, I personally would have loved to have seen, and this is just something else, his ideas for what Spider Man should have done. And actually, had at at honestly, yeah, really. And honestly, the, my my personal my personal thing, I can't actually, I have a problem getting past the first thirty 38 issues. I love the first thirty-eight issues, but then it turns. And I think I think Ramita is a great artist, very romantic, all those things. But you look at those first thirty-eight issues and you look at Doctor Strange and they're their own thing. And honestly, those are the things that everything's based off of. And nothing not that really goes beyond that. Besides Venom, maybe, um, you know, in, in those movies and a couple other things, but you look at those, everything kind of like stems from that. So I would love to have seen what he what where would have gone and like you know, well, what, you
3: know what? Let me let me cut you off there because there's just, uh, and I know we have some questions, and I just <laughs> to see if, if Alex could just do this like in an encapsulated way. To me, the evolution of where Spider Man have
2: gone was a Charlton, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah you know, so
2: to me, that I don't and know, I thought Alex, that was uh, a Blue Beetle, maybe, yeah, exactly. Right. And, uh, yeah. and becoming a mature individual, growing yeah. out of the neuroticism that was part of that Marvel style was. To become a more perfect individual and to apply that to the world around you. So I thought I think Blue Beetle is Spider Man Part mm-hmm. Two basically. That's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Well
5: what's funny is the Doctor Strange stuff it's so psychedelic. Yeah. So all the, the the hippies and everything was like, Oh yeah, he's with us, he's doing <laughs> the drugs, <laughs> he's yeah. Out there and, you know, it, as far as I know, Steve was no, not straight somebody light. that ever took it.
1: No. Right. and this will be the last question, unfortunately. Right?
0: Okay. All right. Um, Let's see, I, I became really passionate about Disco, uh, Ditko, when I was like collecting him and actually I was dyslexic and kind of learned how to read by reading mm-hmm. Ditko and being excited about it. And you guys have talked a lot about how he sees worlds in black and white, but mm-hmm. as a 12 year old, I really was moved by his compassion for Peter mm-hmm. Parker, for Doctor yes, Strange, these yes. people that are marginalized. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder what in his background kind of inform that, let him talk about that, and, you know, really influence my life, because I felt a lot more like, yeah, I could kind of find my way back into something productive myself.
5: I think part of it is that he did stuff that you could apply to your own life in whatever way it hit you, you so that's something that you connected with, but there's other things that other people Mm -hmm. got out of it that would be wow you got that out of it so you know it, that's the great thing about it is there's so much there to um, to extract your own interpretations and, and influences and you know for some people it's just entertainment you know enjoy
4: it but other people's like whoa alright <laughs> I, th- I think his character was you know like very relatable as as you said you know I, I mean I know when when I would you know read the books or even the movie it's like this is like a real person this is like real life i can relate to that you know Mm. i i have brothers who had gone through different things and you know it's just it's a it's a like a normal normal people and i think a lot of that comes from you know from where we're from you know it's like it's just it's very I don't know. It's just a a very different, you know, going from Johnstown and then him moving to New York city, very drastic change too. Um, But you know what? There was a, there was a,
3: you know, Marcy maybe said it in a conversation we had is that we would want to show that he was human. I can, I can go on and on and on in answer to your question, just kind of showing. And I would say, this is his experience with Bernie uh you know in New York when Bernie was a small child and his father passed away and and he was just my uncle was there for him you know so there was there was a humanity that he had that most people are really unaware of so and I think that that just that comes out in his in his writing, especially his early stuff so i mean I think that's that's an aspect of him and although I mean he was a storyteller, but you know, he's drawing on everything around him in his entire world from what he's studied, what he's experienced, what other people do experience, what if you know, there's all that is fodder, you know, for his imagination and for what he wanna do. So obviously that comes out, you know. And, um, and I think
5: if you look at you know the origins of Peter Parker and everything where I don't know how much it was standing, how much it was Steve, but here's this guy, i got superpowers, I'm going to monetize that. I'm going to put that, yeah. you know, I'm going to you know make money off of having these things. And then he realizes, but oh, wait, I should be doing good things with right. these abilities that I, you know, didn't ask for and now suddenly have. So um, I think that was a thing that affected a lot of readers and, and made them big fans of spider. Right. And I, you, you had this alter ego that uh, you know, just uh, had to make moral decisions and realized, okay, I, I gotta do the right thing.
3: I mean that's a really good question. I wish I could actually go into that a lot deeper. Yeah. And I wish we had the time.
0: Yeah. I think it also relates to everybody here, too. I mean, for me, the part where Peter Parker's crying is uncle, uncle Ben died. That's the most iconic panel for me. Uh, and it affects us. It affects the with great power comes great responsibility. Sure, but Steve was part of that, and it was part of everyone's life, basically. It's actually where we I learned morality in a lot of regards. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank
1: you so much for your question. And... Um, Thank you guys so much for being here today. Um, I do before we start doing our plugs and everybody says where they really can find any new um, any more information or anything else about you guys. I would also like to ask you a really really quick question, real quick, because again, he has impacted all of us. I believe in this room. I would just like to know a quote, your favorite quote of him, either something written down or said, or. A really quick fact that you guys have learned from doing research. Just real quick, just down the line, and uh, before we uh, before we end this.
2: I, I think for me, it's that um, I always kind of work on the next project, and the next project, and something that I kind of resonate with the Ditcos on, and, and Steve's history is when it's finished, then I go to the next one, and I try to apply what I learned from that to the next, and I try to build on each project, and I think there's something about studying Steve Ditko's life and looking at all that, and there's something in that that I try to mirror mm. in my day-to-day life. Absolutely. That's
1: that,
0: awesome. That's kind of where I'm at, too. Worth ethic. Because you don't... Worth ethic and actually putting in the best quality you can do um, with what, you've, what you're what you doing. And then when you finish that, don't look back. Go forward to the next one and give that project the worth ethic that it deserves. Everything given at the time and attention it deserves and, and doing it right. Absolutely.
3: Yeah, I, mean, I would say my... Closing statement is on him. (laughs) Is that everyone or any anyone that has seen pictures of him from the sixties? There were those few pictures, and him at his desk, he had that uh, word "think," you know, on his uh, light. So he sat there in those early days with "think," you know, basically just like use your head and and whatever that meant to him. That you know, whether it was think just be thoughtful, um, be uh investigative or whatever that really meant to him, but it was basically process. Um so when we went to clean out his studio, he had a, a different message on his desk. And it was never give up. So, you know, over the years, I think that to me, and different stories that I've had with others and things that they've relayed um, uh, to me, is that he was, uh, he could be a very, very, and was a very, very strong supporter of people. So um, I think early on, you know, his message was he was young, he was, you know, moving, creating. Um, but towards the end there, I don't know when that message appeared there, but it was never give up. So basically go after your dreams, do it. Yeah.
4: And and for me, it's just... Um, you know, I feel the I feel the passion from him, from his what what he had done for a living because he had the passion for the art and he spoke his mind and he said what he wanted. I think one one thing that Mark and I had talked about as well, and and one thing that I just wanted to mention, you know, in he didn't do a lot of interviews and you don't see a lot of photos. Um, And sometimes when you don't see that, when you don't hear the words from his mouth, people tend to make up their own story. And I think one of the things that we wanted to get across today was that, I mean, he was just a wonderful person, beautiful soul, very giving, very talented, obviously, and um, and had a passion for the art. It wasn't about money, it was about doing what he loved, to do and he loved it he absolutely loved it so and thank thank you all too for this this is beautiful and i'm going to take this back to my family that wow i can't believe all these people here. it gives me chills so thank you
5: absolutely i would say um be an individual don't worry about what anybody else thinks um that you don't have to have anybody looking over your shoulder just do your own thing and uh, if you are true to what, you, what your interests are, what your abilities are, then you're going to attract people with that same uh, ideology, and you'll have support from that. And even, whether you want it or not, there's gonna be people who think that you're the best comics creator ever in the history of the world. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. And uh, thank you, Lenny. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Mark.
3: Thank you, Mark. Thank, Thank you so much, Jackie. Hey, okay, shout out to Ivan Briggs at PBA Auctions. Uh, he's having an auction.